Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. I am your host, Al D, and the author of MBA Insider. This podcast is for career-driven professionals looking for advice on how to grow their careers by leveraging the skills, experiences, and knowledge gained from an MBA degree. In each episode, I'll give you a look into the business school experience, along with practical tips, career advice, and real-life stories to help professionals grow their careers. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. My name is Al D. I'm the host of the MBA Insider Podcast and the founder of MBAschool.com. Today, I'm excited because I have with me Elizabeth Davis. Elizabeth is a Tuck MBA alum from the class of 2020, and she is an investor at Anthemis. Today, I'm excited because I want to talk to Elizabeth, Elizabeth um, about her journey, both to Tuck as well as the work that she's been doing to really empower um, women entrepreneurs. Uh, it's something I know she's super passionate about, and she's living out in uh, her everyday life. And I want to talk to her more about it because I think it's a uh, fantastic story. Uh, so first and foremost, Elizabeth, um, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm excited to to get to talk to you a little bit more. I always love starting with a warm-up question. And my warm-up question to you is, what was your first job? I think back, I'm assuming it was perhaps maybe in uh, high school or when you were a teenager, but what was that first job and, and what did you really learn from that experience? Absolutely. And Al, thank you so much for having me. So excited to be here. I've loved listening to some of your other podcasts. So excited to share a little bit more about Female Innovators Lab, Anthemis, and everything. So my first job was actually as a tennis instructor. I worked at Nike Tennis Camps, coaching after my senior year in high school, and I was coaching five-year-old kids. <laughs> and so that was something where, as you can imagine, I think I, so I had played tennis since I was a kid. And then being on the other side, actually coaching these kids was really fun. And I think for your second piece of that question of what I really learned, and especially working with so many five-year-olds, was the importance really of patience, <laughs> number one. Number two was really on consistency and also positivity. I think it's very much of the energy that you give to those kids is so much given back to you in the good or bad. And so I ended up having such a blast coaching these kids, but it was such a, a good learning experience so early on. Thank you for sharing that. And I, I love that. I would be curious to know, because I did a little bit of coaching myself in high school. I was a basketball coach for a while. What what was that process like for you from going from, it sounds like pretty involved in being an athlete as a tennis tennis athlete to then being on the other side in terms of being a coach? Absolutely. So it was so interesting. So I had actually won state my senior year in tennis and doubles. And I knew I was going off to college and I was actually looking at potentially joining the rowing team, team as a coxswain. And I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do for my summer. And the head of the program at Montana State, which is I'm from Montana originally, was coaching at Nike Tennis Camp. And I had always gone when I was actually in high school. And so initially I was a little bit nervous because I was thinking, oh my gosh, am I going to have to coach these basically people who are right around my age. And that's why they stuck me with the kids, I think a little bit. <laughs> but it was such a good, such a good experience for me because I think learning how to be a good coach is so different than being a player. And it gives you so much empathy too of appreciating even more the good coaches that I had throughout my tennis and soccer career. And then when I was on the rowing team too, and what really makes you a good coach. Thank you for sharing that. I couldn't agree more. I have such a respect for all the coaches that I've had, both in sports as well as just professional, even for that matter. So thank you. I have to ask because we're talking about tennis. There's so many wonderful tennis play, professional tennis players out there. Do you have a favorite? If you don't, maybe one or two or oh my who's, gosh. who's top of it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh, Al, I feel like I have so many favorites. 
I think a big favorite since I was younger was Serena Williams, and especially now with her venture fund. I have a good friend who's an investor over there, and so just love what they do now, both for her as an athlete, but also as an investor. So I feel as I've gotten older and become an investor myself, it's something that I appreciate about her even more. Thank you for sharing that. That's super awesome. Okay, let's just dive right in here. So I guess maybe just to start, tell us a little bit about yourself and in the context of what were you doing before you to go to business school and why did you choose to pursue an MBA? Absolutely. So I took sort of a windy path, honestly, to an MBA. I started my career at Coca-Cola on the global sustainability team in Atlanta and was really spending time in India, in China, in Turkey, working on our sustainability programs. And at the time, we had this big program around women's empowerment. So we wanted to empower 5 million women by 2020. And I think that's where it started this bug of working and wanting to work with entrepreneurs. So I ended up actually leaving Coca-Cola to join a purpose consulting firm and start a purpose consulting firm called On Purpose with two other co-founders. And that was such a great experience for me to see really the highs and lows of what it was like to be a founder. So now on the investor side, had so much more empathy for founders in, in that way. And then ended up being recruited away to join this ad agency called Warren. And Warren really worked with female founders on everything from branding to web design to campaign activation. And while I was at Warren, we were working with these really rock star women founders. And so many of them were really struggling to, to really get venture funding. And so that opened my eyes a little bit to this lack of funding that goes to women founders. And at the time I was debating about getting an MBA and I had applied. And so ended up deciding to go to the Tuck School from there. And really when I joined was thinking about, do I pursue VC and go down that path? Do I stay in social impact in, in that path? And, and ended up, it ended up honestly pursuing them both to an extent, but it was something where I felt like there was a really big need just to have more, more investors driving capital to women founders. Thank you for sharing that story. And Oh, wow, what a cool first job out of undergrad, for, first of all, uh, to be able to work on something like that. Certainly, too, I can totally see how, based off of what you're doing now, which we'll talk about in a little bit, uh, certainly ties into some of the things that you did leading up to business school. But what I want to ask you about now is just your experience at Tuck. If you could maybe share what was the most impactful experience you had while you were there. And what I'll say about this, too, is just from my experience, from my friends who went to Tuck, a lot of them, uh, a lot of them have just the most best and wonderful things to say about their time there. But and there's, I know there's a lot of great things you can dive into, but could you maybe share maybe one particularly impactful experience that you had? For sure. I love that question. And it's so funny because I actually almost even echo back to why I chose Tuck and which ties a little bit to the impactful element of it as well. So when I was at Tuck, they have a global requirement. So while during school, you basically have to travel somewhere in the world that you've never been. And they have a few different programs that really help facilitate that. But the group, the group that I went on was called the Global Insights Expedition. And I had this opportunity to go to Vietnam. And I had never spent time in Vietnam before. And the focus of our trip, and it was about a 10-day trip with about 30 classmates, was to look at the global economy in Vietnam. And that was such a cool experience because we were meeting with bottlers from Coca-Cola, which then echoed back to when I was working at Coca-Cola. And we were learning about how shoes were made through a Nike facility, which worked out really well because I actually ended up spending my summer at Nike in between my first and second year. 
And so it was so fascinating because I was able to have these high level cases in the classroom of Nike and Coke and others, and then actually see the, the facilities in person. So it was pretty incredible of an experience. And just being able to travel with 30 of your classmates to a place like Vietnam was pretty special. And I'm still so close with a lot of, of those folks. So it was something that I don't think I could have appreciated more and just love Tuck because it was a requirement that I had to do. Thanks for sharing that. And I think the, the shared experiences with other people is such a powerful thing to have, uh, be, you know, and certainly in terms of being able to experience, you know, something together, uh, and just that, that feeling you get from being able to do something meaningful with other people, but certainly also the, the perspectives that other people bring to the table in terms of whatever you're working on or whatever you're trying to learn. I think there's a lot of value that comes to that. And the other thing I was just going to say is that I would be just be curious to know, because so much of what we talked about already about you has been shaped about these global experiences that you've had in terms of the work you did at Coke, in terms of traveling all over the world, the experience you talked about at Tuck, uh, certainly again, being able to go across the world. I would be curious just to know how, what you've gotten from those experiences, from being able to go to these different places, to meet all these different people that are there, but also to see how things work and operate on a day-to-day -day level. What has that given you or what have you taken from it? Absolutely. It's so interesting. So I actually think back to when I was in high school and my mom and I went to Kenya and it was the first time that we took a really big international trip and we were working in a couple of orphanages and preschools while we were there. And at that point in time, I really had this broad idea that I wanted to work on on malnutrition and third world mal malnutrition was really the the focus of where I was excited about. And overall, traveling to Vietnam, traveling to Kenya gives so much a greater perspective of the commonalities, I think, across countries and also building so much more empathy for understanding different cultures and how beautiful different cultures are. And I think it was something, especially when I was in Vietnam for Tuck and, and actually had the opportunity to go to Dubai as well for the World Government Summit. So these really incredible experiences from the Tuck School that honestly I wouldn't have been able to do if I hadn't have gotten an MBA. And it was just a really amazing experience to learn and do a deep dive into an economy like Vietnam that I would have never probably had the space and time to do if I hadn't have gone to Tuck or gotten an MBA. And um, unless hypothetically I was working for Coca-Cola in Vietnam or Nike or something like that. And so it just gave me a better appreciation for even things like global supply chains and understanding the operations and mechanics behind them. So it was one of those things just gives you a better, I think, appreciation for travel and understanding more cultures and people in general. Absolutely. Uh, definitely just it sounds like it's given you a richness of experience to your life and a perspective that you otherwise wouldn't have, which is super awesome. And I could see how it could be really valuable in terms of what you're doing now. So on that notion, let's talk a little bit about that. So tell me a little bit more about Anthemus and also tell me a little bit about the Female Innovators Lab. Absolutely. Yes. So Anthemus is an early stage venture fund. We were launched in 2010 by two co-founders, Amy Noyakis and Sean Park. And really when An Anthemus was launched about 11 years ago and when we were launched, it was really focused on this broad embedded finance, fintech and sure tech thesis. And I think over the past 10, 15 years, we've seen such excitement and growth within the fintech industry. But really, when they were starting in 2010, I really think that they were some of the pioneers in thinking about, okay, payments infrastructure, looking at the B2B and B2C angles of fintech. And, and so since 2010, we've invested in over 120 portfolio companies within fintech, ranging from Betterment to eToro to Pipe to Novello to Swaypay to First Boulevard, just to name a few. And it's been so exciting because we've also seen the expansion of our fund from 
the U.S. and Europe, and especially for Female Innovators Lab. So Female Innovators Lab was started in 2019 in partnership with Barclays with really this mission and focus to drive capital to female founders within fintech. So Female Innovators Lab invests in the pre-seed and seed stages within fintech in everything from retail consumer banking to wealth and asset management to data tech and infrastructure. And we really look at that earliest stage because we want to be in the bunker with founders, help support them on really those the, those earliest building blocks of their business. And what's been so exciting to me is we've made five investments so far over the past almost two years. And we just expanded the fund from a $15 million fund in just the U.S. to now a $30 million fund, in Q, including Europe. So now we as a fund have just even greater potential to drive more capital to women founders in fintech. Thank you for sharing that. And that is super exciting. As someone who the VC in tech world pretty closely, I could yep. nerd out with you all day on fintech. <laughs> yes. uh, we'll save that for a different podcast. Uh, but what I do want to talk to you a little bit about and learn a little bit more about is maybe just your own kind of motivations for, for getting involved in this. So I can certainly tease out a few kind of themes just in terms of some of the past experiences you've had, as well as certainly not only is this US-based, but certainly there's a European component, so the global piece to you. But mm -hmm. tell me a little bit more, what motivated you to get involved in some of these endeavors? What really guided you to pursue a path like this? Absolutely. It's so interesting, too, because I don't think that there's any specific path to VC where I think some people feel like there might have been in the past. And for me, if someone had told me even five years ago that I'd be a venture capitalist in fintech, I would have looked at them very confused of what that would have honestly even really have meant. And, and really, honestly, what was a big driver was when I was working at that advertising agency and seeing female founders really struggle to get funding. And so when I was at business school, I did a couple of different independent studies, really focused on, initially I actually thought I wanted to start my own fintech company in, this, in, in something called Platform, which was basically almost like a one financial destination where you're able to access all of your bank accounts in one place. And, and then realized that I said, maybe I want to be actually on either the platform side or the investor side. And so my second year, I started looking more into where were some of the disconnects within the venture ecosystem that I felt could, I could really add the most value. And initially I, I was looking at the LP angle, should I look to try to go on the LP side and then realized that there's only around 13% of VC investors are women. And so one of the things that aha moment for me was that we just need more women at the table who are driving capital to female founders in general. And then for me personally, it was something where I actually come from a household where both my parents are financial advisors. And I never thought that I would be in finance in the, in the same way. But now it's so interesting because we'll get approached by different companies that are maybe building infrastructure for financial advisors. And I can go to my parents and say, hey, would you use this? Is this interesting? And so it's sort of this whole circle moment of like where I came from and then sort of throughout school of why I became interested. But it's pretty uh, full circle in that way. Thank you for sharing that. And I can relate a little bit to the last point. So both my parents ended up working in the corporate world uh, for a long time. And growing up, I think you look at your parents and you're like, okay, do this job. It's this thing where they yeah. um, they do all day when they're not when I'm at school and they're not taking care of me. And then your friends, you know, when you're in high school, they're like, oh, what do your parents do? Say whatever it is. And then eventually you go into the workplace and it starts to like crystallize and make sense. But my dad was a consultant and I started my career as a management consultant. And so it wasn't until like my 20s when I actually could like actually articulate and understand like what it was my parents did. But similar to- yes. I actually just had a situation a couple of weeks ago where 
I actually connected my father to someone and a business deal ended up coming from it. So I was kind of like, okay, that roof and three squares a day you put over my head for 18 years. Here's a slight down payment towards some of that. But it, it was really funny. It's just funny sometimes how the influences in our life um, come back to us in, in ways that we don't even imagine. Totally. Could not agree more. Yeah. Okay. So one of the other things I wanted to ask you about was just the opportunity you have every day to get to work with entrepreneurs, in particular, female entrepreneurs. Could you maybe talk a little bit about some examples of those entrepreneurs that you get to work with either through because you fund them or just be through your everyday interactions? What are, the, what are they like or what has that experience like been for you? Totally. Absolutely. So the, the great structure about the Female Innovators Lab is that we're first and foremost an investment fund. So we allocate ex basically anywhere from 500,000 to a million typically in, in that pre-seed and seed stages. And then we really get to work pretty closely with founders through our venture studio. And so that's something where I've worked with founders on everything from branding to renaming to verbal identity. So really tapping back into that advertising experience to then leverage that for founders. And a couple of the founders that we have gotten to work with really closely that we invested in, uh, one is First Boulevard, and they're really a digital bank that's focused on Black America. And we met them a little bit over a year ago and was just blown away by the two founders, Asia Bradley and Donald Hawkins. And it was something where they're targeting this market that has been historically underserved, underbanked, and so that we could be a small part to help and support this bank that was really targeting such an important population in the U.S., something that's pretty exciting to us. And then another one to mention is Novello. And this is actually the first investment that I was a part of at Anthemis on our Female Innovators Lab team. And Ellie Polanco is just an absolute rock star of a founder. And really, she's operating more in the space and, and more about fraud and, and ACH payments. And she is someone who you meet and you're immediately excited about what she's building and want to be a part of her team and help support her wherever you can. And so it's something where I just appreciate every day and feel so fortunate to get to work with founders. And, and it's pretty cool of just hearing those ideas, even if it's something where we don't end up investing or it's not a fit for whatever reason. But hearing so many people that are starting companies and seeing their passion and excitement for what they're building, it makes me think back to when I started On Purpose as well. And it just, honestly, it's the, one of the big reasons of why I get excited about what I do every day. Certainly. I may be reaching for this here, but I'm thinking back to when we were in the beginning and talking again about your time uh, coaching five-year-olds in, in tennis. And I, I do see some of the similarities now in terms of the role that you might play with working with some of these entrepreneurs in terms of coaching them in certain respects in certain ways. Uh, certainly five-year-olds playing tennis are a different breed than female entrepreneurs trying to build businesses. But you know, particularly know on one hand, like the richness of your skills and experiences from what you've seen from having an MBA from Tuck, but also acknowledging that these entrepreneurs are a special breed themselves. Well, how have you tried to play, a, what role have you tried to play in terms of being that coach or being that advisor, knowing what you have, but also making space for the fact that entrepreneurs really are their own breed in a lot of ways, in a great way. How do you navigate between those two? Yeah, for sure. And it's something that we actually talk a lot about at the Female Innovators Lab. And one of the things that we always try to do with the companies that we invest in is we try to be an extension of their team. And that means something a little bit different, I feel like, for every portfolio company that we work with and that their needs are totally different. 
And even an example of that, I was talking to one of our founders last night at probably 10 p.m. about her seeds. We invested in her pre-seed and now she's raising her seed. But even about round construction, when she was thinking about, okay, what funds do I want to bring in? How should I think about having those conversations? And so we really try to be that extension wherever we can. And also it's such a element too, where once you make that investment, you're very much excited and tied to those founders in a great way where if they do well, then we can do well. And so we're so excited if there's anything that we can do from a BD connection or for something where we really look to support founders on, on like I said, that branding side or whatever it is. And so we try to dive in with founders wherever we can really provide that most support. Sure, sure. That's great. So one other thing I wanted to talk to you about, because I know I've seen you speak about this other places, is just this idea around um, the wealth gap and that there's been and, and just also that exists particularly between, you know, genders. And I think you've you touched on before why entrepreneur plays a critical role in addressing this. And so I'd love for you maybe just to talk about this a little bit more and how do you even see your work and particularly the work with a female innovators lab really playing a role in, in helping to try to bridge some of this gap? Absolutely. So this year I, w- I was basically looking at more of the gender wealth gap in general. And it was pretty surprising to me because I think so often people talk about the gender pay gap, but even really realizing that the gender wealth gap is even a bigger issue in some respects than the gender pay gap. And honestly, they go hand in hand to some extent. But some of the research, which was really surprising, is that women own just 32 cents for every dollar that a man owns and black and Latina women own literally pennies to the dollar. And, and when I say own, what that really means is that it can include everything from investments and real estate to then thinking about debt, investing, life events, earning wages, all of those things. And it shows really, too, the power and importance of investing over time. And it's funny because it makes me think back to when I was first graduating undergrad. I was 22 years old. I think I was making $30,000. And I was working at Coca-Cola. Just I started as an intern and then worked my way up from there. And my mom sat me down and she said, Elizabeth, you need to start a Roth IRA for retirement. And I was thinking, mom, I'm 22 years old. I'm making no money. And how am I supposed to save for retirement? What is happening right now? And so she said, whatever you can put away, whether it's $50 a month, $100 a month, like put away something. And when you think about the power of compounding, and this is the real power of investing in general, is say if someone starts investing at 22 years old versus 25 years old, and if they compound that return at 7% annually, that 22-year-old will have $131,000 more at the age of 65, even though they just invested an incremental $7,200 in those three years. And so it's something where you do see that power of compounding and the importance of starting early. And I have so many conversations, especially with my good girlfriends from business school, about the importance of investing and diversity across investing to something when you're thinking about maybe making that first angel investment if if you or your household can be an accredited investor. Or if it's something that you're like, you know what, I just want to put it in the stock market, pick an S&P 500 and just have that sort of churn for me until I look at retirement, whatever is the right fit, I think, but the importance and power of investing over time and starting to invest early, even if it's small amounts. And I think that's something that I think is something that needs to be talked about more and more. And there's such a big opportunity there. 
And then, Al, I guess to answer your second question too of, of what are we doing for female innovators, especially, and of course, driving capital to female founders within that piece. For me, I would love to, and I feel like I've talked to so many companies in this space, but I would personally love to invest uh, for from Female Innovators Lab in a company that really focused on getting more women investing. And I think that there's a lot of challenges with that in general of go-to-market strategy and customer acquisition and retention once you're there and all of these things. But there's such a big market opportunity there because I think to some extent, finance can still feel like a taboo topic amongst friends, even family members and things like that. And so what would be almost the next Robin Hood, but for investing specifically for women is something that's just personally exciting to me. And it's something that I also try to bring for even like I mentioned with some personal conversations, but just getting more people involved in the level that they're comfortable with, even if it's just starting to invest in stock market or whatever it is. Thank you for sharing that. And I can relate on some levels in the sense that as someone else who does have a lot of friends who went to business school, I still even have a lot of friends who sometimes are, who can certainly manage a P&L and can take a look at a financial statement and for a company and can understand it right away. But when it comes to their own kind of personal finances, they don't always feel like they have that confidence or, or they don't totally. have that. They just don't have the reps of thinking through it and talking about it and being even aware of it in some cases. And even for folks who are highly educated or who do have the privilege of access to education, it isn't something that necessarily comes naturally. And total agreement with you. I've always wondered why, and I'm sure I'm not the only one, why more personal finance education isn't done, you know, particularly at the high school level, the public education or, or what have you. And I, I definitely can relate and can see that. So. One other thing I did want to ask you about, because you brought it up earlier, you said maybe five years ago, you could never have seen yourself as a, a VC investing in, and just given your role right now and given everything you're doing in Anthemis, I would be just curious to know what are some of the most valuable lessons you've gotten out of this experience or, or what have you learned mm -hmm. from being in this role that you're in? I love that question. It's so interesting now because I think that they're exactly like you said, I don't think that there's a clear path to VC, which I actually think is a really good thing now to some extent. Uh, and even when I think about my closest friends from business school, it sounds similar to you too, but a lot of them went into consulting, into investment banking. And I was the only one of our friend group to really go into VC. And there was, I knew going into recruiting for VC that it wasn't this linear path as consulting or potentially iBanking was, that you have to interview XYZ times, that you have to go to XYZ networking things. And so I think one of the good learnings for me is that there isn't a specific path that's going to make an amazing venture capitalist. And a, a couple of things in a couple of different paths that I think make a ton of sense is if you come from that operator side. So if you were a founder, if you worked for a company, that's super helpful just to understand the inner workings of a tech company and how it grows or being a founder and really what that goes into the highs and lows of being a founder. I would say too, even of course, the investment banking or some sort of financial experience is, is definitely helpful. For me, one of the reasons why I was excited about the early stage versus the later stage is I didn't want to be making an investment solely on really on just the numbers. I wanted it to be also on why this team is going to beat any other team if they're competing in the same market and have a similar product. And so I was really excited, especially about that people component. And I think a big thing for me, which I actually underrated when I was looking at VC firms and have realized is so important for me now is the type of culture of fund that you're at. Because Anthemis is very much about diversity and it's something where we have almost or more than 50% of our investors are women, which for the industry is incredibly high. 
And we have also a big focus on coming from a diversity of backgrounds and really for our investment team. And the reason for that is because we want to have diversity of thought. And so if we all come from different backgrounds, we're going to bring different experiences and ultimately hopefully make better investment decisions. And so I think that was also a helpful learning, but realizing more and more of the type of culture of a fund is incredibly important. And I think just the last piece for me, I'm to a stage in my life too, is I, I feel like I'm too old to not enjoy the people that I work with. And so I just really love my manager, honestly, who leads our female innovators lab in, in global venture partnerships. Her name's Katie Palenchar, and she's just an absolutely incredible human. And it's one of those managers that you feel very lucky to work with in that she's just such a, a woman that builds other women up. So I feel very fortunate of, of who I landed with from a manager perspective as well. Thank you for sharing that. It sounds like you've learned a lot in a not too uh, long a period of time, which is is really great. And one of the things that you said, which I've definitely seen as well, just even from guests I brought on my podcast, is there, to the point you made, um, there is no clear-cut path oftentimes of getting into venture capital. One of my friends who I brought on the podcast, Justin, he actually started his own podcast going into business school. And then when he was in business school, he was interviewing VCs and entrepreneurs. And he now works at a VC fund for someone he interviewed on a show. Uh, That's amazing. The show, he saw she comes to the role and now he works there. My other friend, really good mentor of mine and my former classmate, Whitney Narcisse, she's at First Round Capital. And so awesome. in business school, she hustled her way and found a part-time like internship kind of job. And then they, she did such a good job. They asked her to come on full-time. And so she dropped out of school, wow. finished school on the side and, and went full-time and she's still there to this day. And I think to the other point you made, I just think that even though there's not necessarily like always a clear-cut path, being able to have uh, a sense of the things that are important to you and at least anchoring on those and then being able to use those as a means to navigate through and to find your way, find, find your way around, which clearly you've been able to do at least so far. Yeah, It's it's funny you say that too, Al. Literally, I, very similar to your friend from school. I worked for another VC fund during school because I, I remember people, hey, I wanted to try to figure out what type of fund I wanted to be out of. Micro VC, bigger blue chip fund, all of these different things and hustled my way to understand what that dynamic would look like. But I ended up actually starting at Anthemis in April of 2020. So I was finishing business school while also starting. And it was so funny because, and I think you would appreciate this, is that I had taken an early stage investing class my last term at Tuck. And we were doing mock investment committee meetings, bringing deals to partners, all of these things. And, and literally I would go from my actual investment committee meeting at Anthemis to then my mock investment committee meeting for school. And so it was just such a funny experience of, wait, what is happening? It was, I mean, it was pretty unique that I don't know if I would have been able to do it if I had been at, or at a tech full time. So it worked out really well, but pretty funny how it worked out. That is really funny. And talk about taking what you've learned in the classroom and applying it to real life. That totally. Happened in the course of your day. Okay. Knowing that you've kind of even though you didn't necessarily see yourself as a VC five years ago, here you are now, uh, knowing that there wasn't necessarily a quote unquote path, I'd be curious to know as you think about your career moving forward, how do you define success or what do you think about success for yourself? Yeah, for sure. So when I was a kid, my dad actually had this quote that he said, define your passion and do it in the service of others. And as a five-year-old kid, you're, what is my passion and how do I do, how do, I do this in the service of others? And it was something where as I got older that I realized that it was more impact in general. And so I think really what that now means for me, especially within VC, is that I want to continue driving capital to female founders and, and founders that come from underestimated backgrounds. 
And also ideally success for the broader industry is that we see equalized levels of funding for male and female founders. And if I can be a piece of that to both drive more capital to women, but also bring more awareness of why that's important and get more folks around the table to, to also drive that capital is something that's really important to me in success in this industry. I love that. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining today, for talking about your journey to how you built a career um, in venture capital and telling us more about the Anthem Lab and the Female Innovators Project and all the work that you all are doing to empower female entrepreneurs. If people want to learn more about you or learn more about the Anthem Lab, where, where can they go? Absolutely. So uh, you can follow me at Twitter at El Davis Eight. I try to keep some stuff up there about Anthemus Female Innovators Lab in general. Also, too, you can check out our website if you're a founder. We have a, a pitch intake form. So anyone that's interested in really connecting there, and then also too would love to connect on if they're my email is Elizabeth at Anthemus.com. So would love to connect with anyone who is both starting a fintech company that's a female founder or co-founded team. Or also, if you're looking to get into venture, happy to help and answer any questions of what that path looks like. Hi, everyone. LD here. And thank you so much for listening to the MBA Insider Podcast. If you liked what you heard, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and to write a review. It will only take 15 seconds. I'd also love to hear what you've been listening to on the podcast and any suggestions you have for how we can improve. Find me on LinkedIn or head over to mbaschooled.com backslash podcast.